and welcome to What Do You Like? It's Maria. Hello, this is Hunter. And we like to talk about stuff that you like, or more so that we like. It's going to be stuff that we like. Let's let's be honest. It could become stuff that you like. I will say we're trying to work on the you part of this with more to come in the future. We're trying to get guests. We have plans. Lots of plans. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's great. This is a lighter episode. We are going to talk about content creators that work mainly on YouTube and ones that we enjoy. We both have more of a specific type, which is usually discussion-based content, long form on subjects that we are interested in. If this isn't your usual go-to, then maybe check them out. If you know for a fact uh, that you don't like this kind of stuff and you've tr- attempted in the past, uh, we're sorry. We won't yuck your yum. These are things that we like. The way that we are planning to do this, and it'll be more freeform than sort of the way I'm going to describe it, but Maria has three that she really likes. I, Hunter, have three that I really like. And we have three that we kind of have come to an agreement that we both like. Yeah, and there is a lot of, how do you, like... Overlap? Overlap, especially with the stuff that you like, because you introduced a lot of the channels that I watch or listen to more so. Uh, Yeah. uh, One of the things that we're not really focusing on is streamers and Twitch. Asterisk, sort of, we'll get to it. The stuff that we mainly focus on is not stream based though some of these creators do stream in general i really appreciate editing and i don't dislike streams streaming's really hard and i appreciate it it's not something that i find as enjoyable as having something edited down which means a lot of the stuff that i like has been around for a long time has been around since before streaming became a thing Because now, if you are an up-and-coming person and you say, I want to make videos, unless you're in a position where you can make that financially viable, you're going to go to streaming because that's where all the money is. You're not going to be paying an editor or spending your time being an editor if you're a funny person in front of the camera. It ends up being a lot harder to justify that financially. But... I'll get off my soapbox now because I'm getting a look. There are some, well, what I was going to say is there are some exceptions, namely my first point, which is the content creator, Simon Whistler. He's been doing this for a long time. YouTube channels are his kind of bread and butter. He has had an interesting life. I'd say it's pretty average for someone who grew up in England, but he currently lives in the Czech Republic, and I think... For at least two of the channels I listen to or I watch, the thing that make that is interesting is when he adds his own an- antecedent antecedents. The stuff that he's done before. His his own life experience. Anecdotes. Anecdotes. That's what. The, okay, sorry. Yeah, it, his own anecdotes, and he also is very careful. You know, that doesn't mean he's like sharing every single bit of his life. It's more just how much he loves his kids, which is very sweet. His chan- The channel I mainly listen to by him is The Casual Criminalist, and this is where I was introduced to what I think is his most successful format, which is cold reading scripts. 
I don't know if for some of his channels that he writes his own scripts or if he started as this, but now he outsources it. And he is not a fan of true crime. And this is a true crime podcast slash YouTube channel. It, their tagline is true crime casually done. But he outsources a script and these people who write the scripts are all over the world. You have one guy who's in Hong Kong, another guy who's in Australia, someone who's, in, I think, in South Africa. And so a lot of these true crime uh, stories are from their home country, which is really interesting because you might not have heard about this event that happened in South Africa or in Italy. And that's when things get that's when it gets really interesting because True crime is something that I'm interested in, and I've heard all, almost, you know, all the major points usually that have happened in the United States. I had never heard of the White Uno gang from Italy, and so I got to hear about that. And yeah, it was dark, but you know, for someone who t finds true crime interesting, I also think it's well done because. As I said, Simon Whistler is not a true crime fan. And so he says, more CSI, less Saw is his mantra. Yeah, and I think he does a good job at finding that balance point where here is what happened. Here is how everything reacted. Here's how everything goes through. I think you'll also catch a recurring theme with a lot of the stuff that we recommend and a lot of the stuff that we like. It gives us a window into something we wouldn't have without it. I would say of the nine-ish people that we're going to talk about, what, half of them are from not the U.S.? Not half of them. It's only three or four. Asterisk, sort of. It's kind of. complicated. Again, <laughs> don't worry about it. We'll, it'll come we'll up We'll bring later. up where they're from. So someone writes the script. He's reading the script. He's never read it before, usually. Sometimes he messes up the recording and he has to redo it. But a lot of his reactions are as you go. And it's someone who is not absorbing true crime, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. So his, well, he is, but he's not like actively interested, I suppose is one way of putting it because he has to record it for the, for the show. Right. But it's not someone who's listening to it as a podcast or listening to it as a YouTube. And there's a lot of content creators who work in true crime now. I mean, it's always been that way. It's not why true crime now. It's always been true crime. There's always a lot of it. There's a lot of it around, and more of it is more respectful than it has been in the past. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? I would say so. I mean, I try to look for that. I try to look for ones that humanize and make sure that it's very clear that the victims were people with lives and whose loss was affected. You know, these people had families who loved them and friends who cared about them and they're gone because of this person and it makes the you know the story the tragedy of it it also makes the justice of them you know getting their getting justice for the ones that have been solved all the more better you have these two lines that you have these two people having almost a conversation you have the writer talking to simon through the script you have simon reacting to it and then the final part of it that i enjoy a lot is the editor their editor jen who is lovely and jen is a riot i think her editing is great and because it is a third independent part of this production 
she has her own opinions that she'll use to, and she'll show that through editing. And right. you have the unseen third hand, at which is only seen. Editing's weird like that sometimes. She does have some re- like really good moments. Like some sometimes she puts in some zingers, and I don't want to spoil it, but they do make me laugh. And it's one of those few channels that can make me laugh hard at just editing, at just clips. And um, I think they have another editor now based on the credits, but she was the main one in the beginning. Another channel he does is called Decoding the Unknown and Brain Blaze. Similar setup. And I think he's real. I think he's trying to be more in that capacity where you have three lines of dialogue and they're all communicating. And it creates something that's very, I find very interesting and very entertaining. And also, you can meet all of his uh, basement writers, as his fandom has begun to call them, because there's a running idea that he keeps all of his writers locked in his basement. I mean, as someone who had a basement bedroom for a long time growing up, basements are pretty nice. Yeah, it's not bad. Even the writers have started getting in on it, where they say, I talked to Danny as he lives right across the basement from me. So he's chained to the wall 30 feet from me, and we had a nice chat. <laughs> yeah, and I asked him about it because he is our law expert of the basement writers. <laughs> right. So, Simon Whistler does a bunch of different things. Some of them he's very serious. Others, he is a lot lighter. But the casual criminalist, there's a little bit of lightheartedness to it. It, it, but you don't forget that you're reading about you're reading about crime. Speaking of people from England and who are still in England, mm. a group that I really like is Shut Up and Sit Down. They are a collective of five people, four people, somewhere between four and six people, and they review board games. They talk about board games. They discuss board games. They are a board game focused group. They tend to do a lot of board game reviews, take a new board game, unpack it, pull it apart, say, why does this work as a game, or why don't we think this works as a game? And in some cases go, this is a good game, but it costs $100, and it is not worth $100. They also do a lot of comedy little skits. The main person, or the person who's been around the longest, is Quinn Smith. He has done a ton of writing and a ton of journalism outside of the board game industry. He also works on a couple other projects. One is People Make Games, which is all about making games. And then also worked with the group that made Blaseball briefly to come up with um, season recaps, which is super fun. Shut Up and Sit Down does a really good job at being very open and very opinionated but recognizing that they have opinions and that their opinions are not necessarily always widely accepted. They do a good job at saying, hey, based on my biases, this is what I like. They're a very intellectual group. I think... They also make fart jokes. <laughs> well, every almost every channel has, has at least one fart joke. You, you kind of have to. It, it makes the tone a lot lighter. As long as it's not just constant fart jokes or pee jokes. Or, then it gets a little tiresome. It can be a little much. I will say I think that with at least a good portion of... The channels we're going to talk about they do try to make it clear that it is that they aren't the smartest person in the room and they have their opinions but they, they might not be correct 
Speaking of the smartest people in the room, well, not really them being the smartest people in the room, let's talk about Jetlag the game. Oh, yeah. They're sharp. They're a bunch of fairly smart guys doing really dumb things really, really well. Yeah. This has become something that that we enjoy watching at the end of the day, and we've seen almost all of their uh, seasons at least twice. Yeah. So to describe Jetlag the game super quickly, it's The Amazing Race, but if you filmed it all on iPhone cameras and gave it to a bunch of 20-year-olds. Three or four. They have a pretty big production crew. It is one guy who has a handful of other YouTube channels as the narrator, and then two of his writers and usually a rotating guest of one of their friends. And they will go do a travel game. My favorite's Brian. Brian is very good. Brian from Real Engineering. Yes. There's a Nebula joke somewhere in here. Oh yeah, and they're all on Nebula, um, which is a streaming service for more... um, Etrudite? Yeah, I guess more informative YouTube channels. Genuinely, Nebula is actually super useful if you want to support people not completely directly, but slightly more directly. This episode not brought to you by Nebula. I mean, if you sponsor us, Nebula, why would you? But we will take your money. All 16 of our listeners. Please don't don't give us money. Please don't. We don't need it. Anywho. Jetlag the game is great. They're really creative, but I think they also know what they can and can't do. They have yes. a really good idea of well, what works. they figured it out very early on. Yes. When they did the Whispered About Season Zero, where their cameraman got sick because they basically didn't sleep for 48 hours. And not, he got food poisoning. And he got food poisoning. Not because they were like, you were not allowed to. It's just because they got so wrapped up in trying to finish and the end was in sight. And they were on shaky legs at the end there, and the food poisoning just ruined it. Like, the good thing, though, is that when they realized that their cameraman was sick, uh, the host, you know, was like, we're done, sorry, doesn't work. And then they found a loophole where he did win. Yeah. (laughs) Because it is illegal to put your employee in danger. And he did do that. (laughs) The entire theme of the show was breaking laws, so it's a perfect ending. Yeah. I still think their third season is my favorite, where they're playing tag across Europe. Yes. It just, it works really well. But I think we've now talked about Jetlag. Go check it out. It is really good. We'll put all the links to these channels in the description. Uh, The season one through four is Connect Four across the United States, Race Across the World. Season three is Tag Across Europe. And then season four is... Claim the most states in the United States. Yeah, and to do, for the season four, to claim a state, you had to do some challenge from a uh, deck of cards. They always have a deck of cards with challenges on them. It get gets brought into the game somehow. Yeah. So, for example, one of the challenges was spend $100 at Bucky's, which is a regional gas chain. <laughs> Eat soup in a helicopter. Stuff where it's... You can do this, but it's weird. Yeah, it's something that if you're, if they're doing it and someone else sees them, they're just going to kind of give them a look 
and then keep probably keep walking except except for one random lady in France. Yeah, <laughs> it's they've found a good spot where it's something that is strange but explainable. Yeah, it's a very good show. It has very good quality. They all have like lapel mics. They all have everything laid out. They have a good feel for what they can and can't do, and I think that really does them credit. Yeah. The next one I would talk want to talk about is um, Dead Meat, hosted by James A. Janice. And his wife, first girlfriend, then fiancé, now wife, Chelsea. And then, on occasion, their editor, Zorin, who I enjoyed his uh, series on Tremors quite a lot. And it's based... It's, so their main content is The Kill Count. And it is just tallying up all the kills in horror movies. And for the record, I love horror. I It used to scare me like crazy as a little kid, but it is something that I've always had a fascination with. Be, what makes people scared is always something that has been, in, that has interested me. And so I didn't watch a lot of the classics as a kid, but now I'm getting to learn so much about the behind the scenes, who played Jason in all the Jason, in all the Friday the 13th movies, who was Jason the most? You know, there's like a series of stuntmen that all played, uh, you know, some played Michael Myers, some played Jason, some played, uh, what's his face, um, from Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Leatherface. Leatherface, of course. I was like, what, what's his face? Leather? Leatherface. Ah. Sometimes it's leather. Leatherface. And <laughs> Anything can be leather if you try hard enough. <laughs> there is one or two of them that played all three. And, and then in terms for Kane Hodder, he played Freddy, Jason, and um, Leatherface. So it is an interesting, like, behind, like, oh, little tidbit. Oh, I didn't know that. But doing all of the special effects, which is really why we come to horror sometimes, especially those movies like Friday the 13th, where it's like, how do they make the kills look good? Do they look good? They don't look very good. But, you know, we can admire the craft that went behind it. They need to have vermicillitude. They need to feel real without you know, being real. And I think it's important. It's a very different kind of movie then. Yeah, I think it's important to appreciate the art and the work that goes into that and, you know, the thought process. And so you get to see all of these, all the kill counts. You also get an idea of what about the movie and the little, like, gems in each one that make them, that can make what you would originally see as a shitty movie a lot of fun. That is the kill count. They've definitely evolved over the years where it was just James A. Janice. I'm going to keep saying his full name because that's what he does at the beginning of every... (laughs) If you find a formula, you ride that formula into the ground and then through the ground, then back out the other side. (laughs) It was just him staring at a camera, like rattling off the kills and then kind of having a a playthrough of the movie. And now they talk about all as much behind the scenes stuff as they can and they uh, will discuss, you know, how do the kills get broken up? You know, what categories that do they go into? They have graphs. Yeah. <laughs> they do a good job at delving into how to make movies and having that back and forth of, hey, this is a thing you can do. This is where you would have caught this point. If I remember correctly, mm. they've called out specific moments of like, hey, this is a reference to this other movie that was influential in the genre. Yeah. 
they're they're watching the Evil Dead. That's really well known in how in the first Halloween movie, the kids are watching the Evil Dead. In Evil Dead, that too, there's Freddy's glove is hanging from the basement when they find it. So it's directors nodding to each other and basically going, I respect you. Well, I respect you as well. And you get to hear about, you know, who made the music and how is the music influenced or what influenced that music. Like Reanimator, the opening titles have a lot of Psycho, inf- the you know opening song from Psycho is influenced by, or the, uh, not the opening song, the... Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it has the... It uses musical cues in the same way, yes. and it reuses those. And the writer or the uh, the composer was like, yeah, I totally did that because it's awesome. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> I do want to call out one thing that one of their big projects that they just did, and I hope they do it again because it was really fun. Uh, James James A. Janice and Chelsea are huge wrestling fans, so they, ma- they took one of the WrestleMania simulators and they did a... Um, what? I'm making fun of the word, the phrase WrestleMania simulators because <laughs> it makes you sound like you're 50. But they created it's WWE. They created 2K23 or something. What's the one where they're all in the ring all together? It's the it's the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble. But they were watching. It was the Royal do, Rumble. Yeah, you're watching a game. But the yes. game isn't called Royal Rumble. No, but they're doing the option of the Royal Rumble. They're watching it on their Nintendos. Yes. Anyway, Chelsea went through the long process of recreating horror characters and did made 50 of them. And, or no, not 50. 30. 30. Sorry. She made 30, and she made 30 of them for the Royal Rumble. And then they had the AI go through it, to, and they commentated on it as they watched it. It was fantastic you got to see slender man you got to see one of the uh, characters from the lighthouse played by who was played by willem dafoe his opening was freaking fantastic and she made it so he was in black and white yeah it is done extremely well there was nosferatu obviously had the undertaker opening yeah i mean kind of has to but i recommend watching this this is it's hilarious. My personal favorite was the she created Reggie Bannister from Phantasm, which I think is an underrated classic. <laughs> but in Reggie Bannister is such a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. They did a she did a good job at finding the balance between, oh, this is the main character and this is an entertaining side character with two lines of dialogue in this movie from 40 years ago. I mean, Reggie Bannister was the main character. Well, no, but she also had several yes, she side did. characters of like, this was corpse number four. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> At least a couple times. Mm-hmm. Speaking of minutia, yeah, my next that. one is Todd in the Shadows. So he does a lot of pop music reviews, but he also has a couple other series that he runs through. And I would say his main gimmick is that he never shows his face. Like, explicitly every single shot of what he's doing is him sitting in front of a piano with a side-on camera with his face completely covered in shadow. And he's he, Todd in the shadows. He's Todd in the shadows. His real name is not Todd. <laughs> <laughs> but he, when he started, he realized he didn't have enough camera equipment to make the shot look good. So he went, well, I'll just make it backlit 
he also was, if I remember correctly, he was also teaching at the time, and he didn't want his face out there as being a teacher, being like, I'm making videos on Blip TV. This was pre-YouTube. It was before YouTube became, like, the huge conglomerate that it is now. He does a really good job at figuring out why he feels certain ways about different songs. What's he review? Pop music. Okay. Mo uh, mostly pop music. He also does, I think my favorite series that he does is Train Records, which is looking at not critically acclaimed albums that killed their artists' careers. One of his more recent ones Or at least is derailed them. He's trying to figure out what he exactly wants, and it's generally the this is the point at which they were no longer relevant to a broader audience. Saint Anger from Metallica. Oh man, that f it sh it was imp it had to be made. It's not a good album. Right. Not as bad as Lulu. Right. He goes through and basically says, "Okay, this album came out. Why didn't it work? What went wrong?" <laughs> oh. A lot of cases, it ends up being the band wasn't on the same page. And in some cases it was the label didn't know what to do. He does a really good job at researching and talking through and bringing all this information together. He does a very, very good job at synthesizing stuff and pulling it all together. We both are like not huge fans of pop music. You listen to it more than me. I am more a fan of pop than Maria is, but I also tend to come at it from a slightly weird angle, more on the like indie side toward pop, but mm -hmm. not into full pop. Todd in the Shadows does a good job at being like, hey, this is a big popular song. Why do you like it? It's kind of like what we try to do on this show. Yeah. It's just that he's extremely good at discussing and writing and having he's good also thoughts on is it. a musician to an extent. Yes. And he so he knows, you know, this is this sound and this is why, you know, these lyrics work well with this particular sound and this is what the song is saying in this moment, you know, using this key. Like I don't like Taylor Swift, but I understand why people do. It's she is an excellent writer and musician and what she does with the tools that she has, I can appreciate it with how he describes it. Yeah. He does a very good job at articulating things that you wouldn't necessarily notice. Not the the generally generally you wouldn't notice it, but he can articulate, hey, this is what's going on. Speaking of articulating things that are hard to express, that was a terrible segue, that but I'm moving on. Wow. Good segue. Much like the real segue. <laughs> we both really like The Escapist and the newer version of The Escapist. Yes, it's changed hands a couple times. We brought them up in our Dungeons & Dragons episode because they are doing a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. And in a way that I have not and I've always wanted to see, but, you know, it takes a lot of time where they partially animate some of the scenes. Yeah. So The Escapist started as a print magazine talking about games, talking about escaping and escapism. Then it turned into a website and a e-magazine in the mid-2000s. Then they pivoted to video when that was before that became an active joke. And they were one of the hotspots for video from about 2007 to, oh, 2013. For video games. 
for video games and movies and TV shows and all of the general, like, here's media, consume it, with a sort of a nerd focus, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word there. Yeah. And then the website went through a bad phase, yeah. and we won't go into too much detail, and then it got sold, and then it got sold again, and then somebody came in and went, well, if you're not using this anymore, I'm going to buy it. And then they bought it, and now they've started relaunching it. And so. one of those guys was named Jack Packard. Jack Packard, Nick Calendra, Calendra. Cal the editor-in-chief has also come up and done a bunch of this stuff. Yeah. The name that you potentially have heard if you're plugged in online is Zero Punctuation. Yep. This is where Yahtzee started. And where he continues and to be. <laughs> and where he's been for 15 years. He is good at digging his heels in and just sticking it out because that is what he did. He's also talked about being at The Escapist through years where he was the only thing that was being published every week. Yep. And he was just like, look, they're going to keep paying me. Exactly. <laughs> I have free choice. If I leave, I have to figure this all out. This works. This is what I'm going they're to do. They're publishing my stuff. I might not agree with everything that they're doing, but I got bills to pay. And I respect that. The Escapist does a lot of different things. So they do movie reviews. They do game reviews. They also stream, but I don't watch as much of that. I, I mainly like Adventure is Nigh. That is such a good series. It's really funny. Yahtzee's in it. I also love Zero Punctuation. He has changed, not changed, but he's gotten so much better from the beginning until now. Obviously with anyone who, you know, does some, who works at, you know, their craft for a while. From The Escapist, you can see sometimes just how storied each of their employees' work is. And some of them have published books and some, you know, and they have other projects going on. And I think it's so cool that, you know, they're all collected together and working for something that I really love, which is, you know, having a, having this escapism, creating art and content to help people, you know, enjoy life and, and enjoy stories. As it turns out, if you get a bunch of people together who are very good at what they do, people will give you money. You can monetize these sorts of things and people would like you to stick around. Yeah. This is not a subtweet of anything in particular. Anyway, <laughs> I think we've, I think The Escapist is fun. They have a lot of good stuff. Yep. They also have had a weirdly high number of people that I still follow. Like I started following The Escapist in high school and then fell out of, sort of fell out of it and then came back and was like, oh man, I, oh, these four people are missing. And then went and looked and was like, oh no, these people are still around, still doing stuff. Wow. Yeah. You can find their YouTube channel. They do have a Patreon. And to that effect, Dead Meat also has a Patreon if you like their stuff and you want to uh, help. I so, think every one of the people we mention here... Except the casual criminalist. Yeah, either has a Patreon or has some way to support them directly. Right, yeah. The casual criminalist, Simon, has made it very clear he does not have a Patreon, but buy his merch. <laughs> yeah, like, they'll have merch. I think Jetlag the Game's the only one that doesn't, but they also are making it and putting it out on a paid website first. I guess the long and short of this whole thing is if you like something... Give them Give money. Give them money. Because Support you, your local artist, goddammit. Because 
YouTube does not give as much. Um, unless you just create content constantly like uh, Simon does. Just support your local artists. Pay pe if somebody makes something that you want, pay them for it. Yeah. Don't be surprised if they have to stick to their day job because they can't live on just the funds that are provided from the Patreon. Uh, I guess that goes to my last content creator, generally Pookie. She is much less well-known, but the amount of effort she puts into her videos is amazing. And I'm willing to give her, you know, a Patreon amount once a year, once a month, and I'm willing to wait for her to create because her work is so impressive for something that is just such a silly topic. She started when she, the book Handbook for Mortals came out and was named on the New York Times bestseller list. And she was like, what the fuck is this? And so she's like, I'm going to go through this book chapter by bloody chapter, and we're gonna talk about it. It's certainly an ambition. Yeah, you have to do your day job. This isn't something that she that funds her, you know, that can fund everything for her. So she has to do other stuff as well. So you don't get stuff out every month. But I'm okay with that because she animates and edits and records everything from the looks of it herself. And so you join her little penguin avatar through this book and other young adult novels. Flap, 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 flap. <laughs> yeah, basically. There's just so many funny bits that have made me like have to pause the video to stop to like calm down because I'm laughing so hard. One of my favorites is her saying that she <laughs> Is her saying like, well, I guess I have to remove this stick up my ass. <laughs> and so she's she has the handbook for mortals. She's about halfway through with that. And I thought she had finished. Nope. Well, actually, no, I knew she hadn't finished. I didn't realize she was halfway through. She's just past halfway through. She's been working on that for like two years, right? Well, yeah, because that's not the only thing that she's been okay. animating. She also is going through the mister, which is a tome. And she's had a little bit more difficulty with that one because it's so stupid. Because <laughs> the Mister is E.L. Well, James's post Fifty Shades of yeah, Grey it's book. Her fourth. It's one of her later books that's not as well regarded. It's well shockingly. But on her Patreon, she also does reviews of young of other young adult novels. And, you know, she, this is stuff that she likes. And when she finds stuff that she enjoys, she is good to call it out. Like. Handbook for Mortals is her main topic, and arguably it is, not arguably, it is a not a good book. However, there are moments where she's like, as someone who likes young adult fiction, like, I eat this up, and this is actually very well written, and I like it. And I can respect that, you know, she's not just constantly dunking on this book to get laughs. She actually takes notes and says, this is what I like, this is what I don't. My particular favorite moment, though, is discussing the proper way of using the Southern sentence, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Yes. I will never do another Southern Please accent. Don't. No guarantees. <laughs> <laughs> and discussing how you properly use it so it becomes the coup de grace in any uh, situation. Yeah. It is a very, very cutting thing, but you have to do it correctly. Yes. And if you don't do it correctly, who it sounds real bad. It does. And this book did not do it well. Oh. 
her and I guess to the the booktuber to another extent who introduced me to her channel is uh, Crimson Rogue and he has more content out there but again this is someone who has a day job and so this is not something he does full time and you can join him on his throne of books as he goes through different books that his uh, Twitter followers I believe have voted for him to do for better or worse and he talks about it's usually worse it is usually worse but the thing I like about him is he is a writer he has independently published one book, one like mini book, uh, I guess a novella, and he has a manuscript out now that he is currently looking for a publisher for. So this is so not someone who, who has no idea what they're talking about. It is interesting because, you know, for someone who likes to write, like I, I'm never going to publish what I write, but I do enjoy it. And so you get pointers of, how can you frame this better? What point of view would make more sense in this situation? How do you frame characters, you know, you to make them not just one note and show that they're not just one note? He just ended his two-part series on the book after, and uh, that was not a good book. But my personal favorite uh, series that he did was on the book Empress Teresa, and I was about... On it's a five part series and I was on part three where I was like I don't know if I can finish this but then I realized he's going insane yeah there's a lot of bile fascination in this yes and Empress Teresa specifically if I remember correctly effectively was semi self published if yeah. I rem- there was something weird where it was not found art but outsider art yeah. I think it's a very classic example of outsider art which is really interesting. Yes, it is, because this is someone who wanted to write a book, and they did, and that is, in and of itself, very impressive. But it's just, it's not a good book. And towards the end, I was like, I have to finish this series, because otherwise he would have completed this five-part series <laughs> for nothing, and I must support him through his mad his trail of madness. It's the principle of the thing. It is the principle. Finish it off. It became the principle of the thing, and I appreciate his sacrifice. <laughs> Speaking of madness, uh, this is a better segue. I really like the YouTube channel Secret Base. Well, YouTube channel and website, sort of. So Secret Base used to be called the SB Nation videos, and then they rebranded it, and they've kind of shifted in a different direction. And they talk about sports, because sports are really interesting. They're a microcosm of the world around us. But it's all sports and weird sports stories. It's a lot more history than, like, reacting to recent events. The specific writer that I really, really like is their creative director, John Boyce, and he is an exceptional writer. He does a great job at catching sort of this weird aimlessness and this, like, everything's just a little bit off-kilter and everything is a story and figuring out how to tell that story in the best way possible. I really recommend their History of the Seattle Mariners because their argument is the Seattle Mariners, the baseball team, are baseball's protagonist. They're not the best, They're actually quite terrible most of the time. They're not the worst, but they are the protagonist. They are a franchise that has had so much bad luck, but they've also had just 
weird things happen. The ultimate underdog. Yeah, but they're also they've also been the best team in baseball, and then it just didn't work. And it's telling the story of how Seattle became this team that was the team of the 90s and yet never really did anything. They've still never been to the World Series, as far as I can remember. They saved themselves by winning a playoff series a few days before a vote to leave the, t- the city happened. And then they won the playoff series and politicians who were in charge went... We can't get rid of the team now. Oh my now. god, it's like the ultimate like young kid like Yes. Yes. Where they it's like they couldn't bulldoze the stadium because they won. <laughs> Genuinely, yes. It is exactly what happens. The history of the Seattle Mariners is really, really good. It is three and a half hours long, so I mean, take your time. All of these have, I think, uh, I think Casual Criminals has a three hour, uh, two to three hours of uh, John Wayne Gacy. So, you know, some of these are real long ones. Yeah. If you got some chores to do or the, a hole to dig in the backyard, this is these are good channels to listen to. The other thing that I love about Secret Base is they figured out a way to make stuff that is recognizably theirs and as I've watched more other channels other people have gone that's a great way to do this I'm going to use that style where it's very much a specific pacing it's certain tones of music it's sort of atmospheric jazz in a couple cases and I've watched other videos like hey this is a history of the worst NASCAR race ever and then gone, I recognize that song. Secret Bass uses that song because it's royalty-free music. <laughs> and it's very much a, they're figuring out, this is the tone we want. This is how we're going to do it. I mean, they are professionals, so they should be good at this. But they've done a very, very good job at all of this. And finally, speaking of professionals, asterisk, they're only sort of professional. Yeah, but they truly are the channel that will probably have the most staying power. They have been around for almost 20 years. It is Loading Ready Run. From Canada. Victoria, British Columbia. We have a huge fondness for them, in large part because we started watching them together when we first started dating. Yeah. I've been watching them, again, since high school. They joined The Escapist, and then I kept watching them. And when we met, I said, hey, this is a cool video. We should go watch this. And then we did, and it was great. Yep. And they are still around and they've evolved and changed. They're one of those channels that also does streaming. Yeah, um, I would call them at this point, uh, quick history, Loading Ready Run was started by two friends from elementary school named Graham and Paul. And they convinced a bunch of their friends to come film video sketches with them. So they did sketch comedy for... 11 years starting like putting a, a sketch out a week for- a sketch out a week for 11 years they missed i believe two or three weeks in that time yeah they were the pinnacle of like we have to have a sketch out every week we're just going to do this yeah so they started in 2003 in 2008 they started going you know we we might be able to make this our job and i think 2009 2010 they started going this is our job. So we've got our website. We're we're making all of our video stuff. And then in 20, 
2013 or 2014, I don't remember exactly, they stopped making weekly sketches and moved more over to streaming because, again, that's where the money is. That's how you can actually... But they still things. have their shows. They have stuff they like the panel. They still make a hilarious amount of content. They still have the panelists, which is a very funny... Uh, it's not a sketch show. It is the panelists. It's a panel show in a similar vein to panel shows from, like, Britain. Yeah. It's more of a what-if show, I guess is the way I'd put it. Yeah. The panel shows in Britain are usually, like, news from the di- for news yes. from the week and a comedian's take on it. But they have done similar stuff. Like, we mentioned they re- they've done... They're basically Canada's version of Taskmaster. <laughs> yeah. They did a... They did a version of Taskmaster. So they have a monthly variety show where they'll do kind of whatever... Like, mm-hmm. usually they'll be they'll do some food challenge at least once a quarter. My favorite one that they did was they pulled ingredients out of a hat that subscri- that people submitted, and then they created smoothies out of three per-, per person. So I believe the one that was voted the worst was Marmite, Pumpkin, and Avocado. It tasted yeah. like liquid turkey. Yeah, and the, the reactions were a lot of, like, this isn't... In a couple of cases, this isn't bad. It just it's weird. Yeah, the, the one that weirdly I real I liked was Paul's, which was uh, red cabbage, apple, and oats. Yes. And they basically said this could be a health smoothie. This could be we could probably sell this, and you know people would drink it and just be like, yeah, this is what I'm gonna have just before my half. I, I, I'm <laughs> training for something. This is my breakfast. Yeah, they do a really good job at being funny and friendly and welcoming or at least having that portrayal while also figuring out where they can draw the line of like this is too much information we don't need to share everything (laughs) the series that i really liked and the panelist is kind of a jump off of this was feed dump where it was i love weird news and talking and reacting to weird news has always been something that I ha- I like listening to. As a kid, I listened to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me with my dad every it's, week. Yeah, it's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but... Canada. In, <laughs> in Canada, and also only five minutes long. And also just weird uh, takes on it. I think it sums it up well with uh, the story of a woman who got was out for a run and a deer landed on her because got hit by a car by an old lady driving a hummer and graham the host said everyone's fine except the deer the deer is dead deer is super dead (laughs) i think the way they've described it is a hilarious amount of different things like to the point where one of their other members they're up to i believe 12 to 15 people it's a little unclear they're they're a big group of people. They all kind of do whatever. I mean, whatever. some people freelance as well. They, yeah. they come in and out. They create. They're like some people that are like, this is my job. I'm dedicated to it. And then there's others who go, I create content for them, but my main source of income is something else. Yeah. I have a day job or my day job is streaming, but not I stream separately and then they come in and I can do my own thing. Anyway, they're great. I really enjoy what they've done. I would say the their most famous thing i think the thing with their most views is friday nights which Mm -hmm. was something that they worked on with wizards of the coast it was a magic the gathering themed sitcom basically here's a bunch of people who like playing magic they're in a world where everyone plays magic because that's just how it works 
here's a bunch of wacky misadventures. And the jokes made me laugh, and I am not a constant magic player. I don't even play magic. <laughs> it's very much, they try to do as much as they can jokes that are not just inside baseball, not things that are only funny to a very small group. They do throw those in because those are super funny, but they try to be fairly broad and fairly accepting. Yeah. I think my favorite, and I think our favorite, is Corpline, mm-hmm. which is, imagine a small town radio show where the Everyone's small town's insane. insane. <laughs> As someone from a small town, it sometimes feels maybe a little on the nose. It's... So they had they used to do a segment in Feed Dump where it was the small town paper where they would read a small town paper cover to cover and discuss each and every section of it. And there for example uh when they were traveling and they couldn't uh and they lost signal so they had to read they had to pick up a paper at a small town there was come to the new the opening of our new dock. And remember times you had with the old doc. And it's basically that. Quirpline is just a crazier version of that. Enjoy your t- enjoy listening, not listening to traffic from their traffic reporter, who is probably Hunter S. Thompson. I don't think that's the one. He's not nearly likable enough to be Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> he's, ooh, he's, it's a version of Hunter S. Thompson. It's Hunter S. Thompson, but told to an idiot. <laughs> being lots of sound and fury. There's a Shakespeare quote in there. I'll fix that in post. I won't fix it in post. That's hard. But these guys have always been creating content. They maintain a good level of professionalism and a healthy fan base if we're gonna be honest like they have been able to keep their fan base from not becoming toxic they have done an exceptional job at having a welcoming and open community with a very strict set of guidelines they also run desert bus for hope which is a huge uh basically telethon charity fundraiser for child's play they play the video game Desert Bus. So the game Desert Bus is a game from Penn & Teller where you drive a bus from Tucson to Las Vegas in, in real time, time at 45 miles an hour. If you complete the trip, you get one point. That is the game. Yep. And if you crash the bus because you can crash it... You get towed back to your original starting point in, in real, real time. time. It was a joke game, and they realized in 2007 that, you know, we have something that'll play it. Let's live stream it. We'll try to raise as much money as we can, and we'll set it up so that way each hour is worth 7% more than the previous hour. So the first hour uh, that they'll play the game is $1 or $100. I can't remember exactly how it starts, but it basically means if they raise... X amount of money, they'll play for 100 hours or 120 hours. Their most recent run, I believe, went 170 hours, so over a week. It happens in November. So you have the person playing the game, and then you have everything else going on. Yeah, it's Uh, a charity telethon, so they get a bunch of guests to come in and talk. Penn & Teller have called in. So the very first year that they did this, they had announced that they were going to do this. And they were like, well, we figure we'll play for 
a couple days. We'll raise like $1,000. It'll be great. And they all donated to Child's Play. To Child's Play. And as they're going through, they're like, ah, this is starting to go well. And then they got a call from, I believe, Teller. Oh. <laughs> from one of, really? one of the two. From the one that doesn't talk. Okay, Penn. I couldn't remember. <laughs> they got a call from one of the two of Penn and Teller. Who Probably Penn Gillette. Who said, here's $500. Keep playing my game. <laughs> here's pizzas. Go nuts. So they raised $22,000 the first year that they did it. <laughs> Which meant they streamed for four days straight in someone's living room going, we didn't think this was going to work. And then they've now done it for 15 years. It's really cool. And it ends up being this weird experience for everyone. And the chat gets to go along with it. And it's all very much a, we're doing a charity fundraiser, but we're also stuck in one place for, you know, eight days. Let's find out what we can do. Let's do cool, fun stuff. Let's get guests in when we can. <laughs> COVID makes things a lot harder. But they did this all remotely in 2020. Before he died, Grant Imahara was a big part of this, yeah. too. Grant Imahara showed up. I believe Mikey Newman uh, is another video essayist. He used to work for Gearbox. He Grant, worked on uh, Borderlands. Yeah, and for Grant Imahara, he was part of the Mythbusters and was an engineer. I guess to kind of bring it all back to the beginning, I was excited to no end when on uh, one of Simon Whistler's channels, Brain Blaze, they were actually mentioned. Uh, this charity was actually mentioned as part of his show, for, or as part of his episode discussing weird video games because Desert Bus was brought up and the uh, writer of the script was like, and they do a charity for this through the channel Loading Ready Run. And I just, I had to grab Hunter and yeah. was like, stop what you're doing. We have a, our paths have crossed. <laughs> yeah. Loading Ready Run is great. I think all of the channels today are great. They'll give you the entertainment that you so desperately crave because you've now sat for through us talking about this for some amount of time that I'll add in post. Yes, <laughs> but you won't. We've been recording for just over an hour. I won't add it in post. You'll find out from the uh, episode length. Yeah, and you watch the entire thing. You'll watch to the end credits. There's a special end credit scene. Yes, there is. Yes, we definitely aren't lying about that. <laughs> You'll never know. You won't want listen to the credits. We don't have credits. If you have an idea for a topic that you want to talk about, you want us to talk about, contact us. I'll put our contact info in the description of this episode. Or if you just want to say hi, I mean, we like it when people say hi. <laughs> yeah, it's always great to hear from people. We'll also put all of the links to these channels in the description. Here's the channel. Check Go it out. Them. Find what you like. Maybe share it with us. And the traditional YouTube leaving, like, share, and subscribe. Be good people. That's from James James. But also like, share, and subscribe. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.